Welcome back to season two of the Bootstrapped Experience podcast, where Jack Kowalski and myself, Bjorn Forsberg, talk about our journey through the Shopify app business and also outside of Shopify. But yeah, it's great to be back. We decided to call season one at the beginning of summer, I thought it was, towards the end, I guess. Yeah, so we've been sort of trying to work out when the right time is to kick off season two. And I think we both felt now we have both the energy and something to talk about for it. So, hey, Bean Jack. Yeah, really good. How about you? What's going on? Yeah, it's been a busy few months, I guess. I think last time we talked, Shopify had just announced that they were cutting the 20% fee. So it was a nice way to sort of end season one. And, and then Yeah, two. nice bonus there. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. And I've managed to keep grow a little bit more as well. Because it's quite funny to see like your stats all of a sudden jump up, you know, 20%. But you can easily hide if you're having a bad month because obviously there's a giant jump in your stats, which is somewhat not of your own creation, right? Sure. You know, it was funny. The one thing I thought about when I saw that too is just if you're considering selling your app, like that was the time, man, you just got a 20% increase to the value of your business. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. And I know a lot of the companies that have been buying up Shopify apps have probably done pretty well on that news as well. Sure, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, since then, we've been working on quite a few different things. Started working with a new developer as well, which has oh, been wow. really good. Yeah. And if you don't follow him on Twitter, or you should, his name's Kirill Plesnov. And he's been doing a lot of Ruby and Rails work in the community. And I've been a fan of what he was doing and putting out there. And I noticed on one of his blog posts that he said he's had some open time for freelance work. I thought, hey, this would be great. That's awesome. I know Kirill. That's cool. I had no idea you guys were working together. That's great. Yeah, yeah. It's been a couple months now. He's a very experienced developer. So it was really good to sort of get a fresh set of eyes coming in and to help out both on AppKit, but also for the whole Polaris view components thing that we're building or were building and then decided to use the open source library that Dan Gamble created a while back. And Kirill's been quite active in developing on that. So it made a lot of sense to sort of support the work that they're doing on the Polaris view components and then also to ensure that our apps are using the latest version, I guess you could say. So it's sort of migrating all the Polaris stuff and ripping out our homegrown one and then just joining the open source version and helping out on that one. That's awesome. So you're working with two developers now? Yeah. Arjun's been focusing on AppKit and then there's also, at the moment, focusing a lot on testing. So test is not something I've had a lot of in my apps, you know, which I hang my head in shame, I suppose you should. <laughs> but it feels really good and we can get into that a bit more, but I've been doing a lot of work on the AppBridge 2.0 sort of forced upgrade from Shopify where they're asking everyone that's on an older version to move to this. If you're an embedded app, you need to move to AppBridge 2.0 by the end of the year, which has been really good. But it meant it was a perfect time to get a lot of tests into the system so that we knew as I was migrating these apps that everything's still working and, and just sped things up a lot. So yeah, it's been really good to have Arjun working on that and then Kirill working on more the Greenfield stuff, which is... Yeah, it feels like things are moving. That's so cool. Yeah, I've been working on thinking a lot more about tests lately too. I bought a course recently by Spady, specifically about testing Laravel applications. Because like, I assume you've probably had the same experience where you go to write tests and it takes you 10 times longer to write the test than it did the code and you just get frustrated and have a half-finished test. Well, at least that was like how I always did it. 100% what my experience was. And obviously, you know, it gets better with practice, but yeah. Yeah, so going through that course, like I feel like I can actually write a test in a reasonable amount of time now. And like I would always try to do like test-driven development and things like that. Never worked. Like I would 
do it for about a half hour and be like, I'm never going to finish this freaking thing if I do it this way. And so just going back and writing tests after or right before I commit or whatever makes me feel a lot better about things. Yeah, and I think you don't always know what you're building yet, right? And I guess people say write the test so that it continues to fail until you fix it. But you know, I think you need to explore a bit. That's my very limited experience, at least, is I need to sort of get my head around the feature more before I can write a test that actually covers the use cases I need. For sure, yeah. I think it comes to, like, I have a developer background before I did all this stuff, and like, you just, sometimes you work with those superhero developers that just manage to produce 10 times the amount of code of anyone else, and it's just all perfectly tested. It's all, you know, they had their tests 100% right before it started, and so you try to imitate those guys sometimes, or at least I do, and it never. You never can quite use them as inspiration, up. I guess. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'll ever be that person. But also, one of the cool things that Kirill was working on was putting up. He did a few different libraries that he's open source, but he did one which is a Shopify sort of sample app that uses Turbo and AppBridge 2.0. So you can sort of see this whole migration. He's basically created a sample app for migration that you can use as a starting point for a new app. So I've used that a lot as reference. And just looking through the cleanliness of that code base, it's so nice to see. And I've learned a lot just picking through that while I've been upgrading my existing apps. And he also did a Shopify API wrapper because the for GraphQL in Ruby. So the sort of, how to say, the official wrapper creates these giant objects of whatever you pull in from GraphQL and it forces you to have the full Shopify schema in memory so you can validate the request before you send them off. But it means that like the server just, dies on memory usage. It's super heavy to use. And so he sort of just created a really light wrapper, which just sort of passes JSON and gives us a Ruby object back. Yeah, it was just cool to look at the code base and to sort of learn from someone. It was a good thing to explore, I guess you could say, seeing how other people work and how they write tests and so forth. For sure. That sounds like that's a great get. You know, Congratulations on the new hire. That's amazing. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's freelancing, so which is cool, but I'll try and hang on to him as long as he wants to continue. <laughs> For sure. That's awesome. Yeah. What about you? What have you been up to? It's been an eventful few months. I guess I'll start with the big personal news because you've helped out with some of this, is that I am relocating to London, my wife and I, in just a couple of short months. So I've been working on getting the visa for about a year. I got the global talent visa, which means I know tech stuff, I guess. That's awesome. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, I know you've been thinking about and working on it for a long time, so it's just great that it's very short or not far away now. Yeah, I know it's funny. It definitely didn't feel real until like I got the actual approval. I was like, "Oh man, I got a lot to do now," but it's been really cool. Yeah, and you've been apartment hunting and or house hunting and all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. So we found an apartment. We're just signing the papers like today. It's so funny, like because I'm on the west coast of the US, so it's like eight hours ahead there. So I'm having meetings at like three in the morning with people and trying to deal with all that. Yeah, it's been <laughs> it's been hectic for sure, but it'd totally be worth it. I'm super excited to make the move. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I'm excited for it as well because we were just mentioning before we started recording here that it's your before lunch, and for me it's like eight. 30 or something like that in the evenings. And, <laughs> and it's just not my best time of day to be sitting trying to create coherent thoughts. But it'd be nice to be on the same or closer time zone anyway. For sure, yeah. And then other than that, I've been working away on Translate CI and that's been really cool. So I officially finally launched it while we were on break and it's been going well. It's weird sort of being back at scratch. I remember, and I think I posted on Twitter like, oh man, day one, zero customers, zero traffic. What now? You know, and it's been interesting kind of trying to figure that out. 
what was that feeling like? I mean, do you <laughs> do you feel like you keep going back to school or? Yeah, it was funny. I was kind of looking forward to it. And then it was a little scary because I really never had to worry too much about the marketing side with Shopify because they brought you so much traffic and so many customers and things like that. So although I did some other marketing, the App Store was my primary acquisition channel. I didn't have that anymore. So it was definitely like, I remember just thinking like, I've got zero visitors to my website. What do I do about this? <laughs> but I remember seeing on Twitter that you did some pretty sort of, for lack of a better word, growth hacky sort of things there, getting into some newsletters and that type of thing. Yeah, that was super helpful. So one thing is that now I actually have a little bit of money to play around with this stuff and I'm willing to kind of pay for my first customers, which helps a lot. So yeah, I did some sponsorships. I did a Laravel News article. We did the Shopify UnionWorks newsletter and I've got a couple more sponsorships coming out next month. Those have been all really good. Like They've brought customers like immediate positive ROI, which is cool. Yeah, the nice thing about Translate CI is that the price is fairly high which means I can pay a decent amount for a customer. And that's what you want, right? And that's one of the things I've found hard with lower price point apps is keeping the customer acquisition cost down while also competing with others that may be willing to spend more. Yeah. I'm still kind of trying to figure out like how much I can spend in everything because my costs are really high with this app too, just because I'm paying translators. But I think I can afford definitely more than I could with the last app. So it's, yeah. it's good. <laughs> It's a good position. I think it'll be really hard now, and, and I'm not saying it's impossible, but I think it's harder to come in and not have any money for some type of marketing, or at least to have a network first that you can then pull on. I think one of those two things is kind of necessary. Definitely, yeah. So I'm kind of making it my goal in the next couple of months to get into the GitHub App Store, because I love app stores. And they have, so it's not like just apply and get in. You need... A hundred active users connected through GitHub before they'll consider your app. Yeah, you gotta like get started on your own, but it's possible. I believe the Heroku, I would say the Heroku marketplace is very similar. They get you to jump through certain sort of milestones before they'll pull you out of beta and all this type of thing. Yeah, but it's good. And I've looked a lot at their app store. I mean, there's not many apps in there. They seem to do really well, kind of from what you can see from the metrics. So I think it's like a good goal to try to get in there coming up. We're starting off a new season. It may be worth reiterating what Translate CI is for any new listeners. Yeah, so Translate CI is a tool for developers. Essentially, the goal is to help you localize your web apps, meaning that you hook up, say, a Git repo to Translate CI, It'll scan your code base, pull out translation strings, phrases it finds, get those translated by a human translator into whatever languages you want, and then just makes a pull request back. And it keeps it updated, so as you push more code to Git, it'll rescan it and keep your translations up to date. Yeah, and I've used the service. It was good. I liked it. It was nice, easy flow. And I like that it's a human translating. It's a different quality, I think, than Google. Are you considering offering machine-translated code as well for maybe like a lower price point or is that opening floodgates of things you don't want? I've considered that. I would consider it. I mean, the back end sort of doesn't matter that much. Obviously, if you want higher quality, you'll pay for it and that's great. If you just want something that'll sort of work with your code base, I think that's reasonable for some people, especially for open source projects and things like that. Yeah, it's definitely something I'm considering and I'll, I'll probably do that in the next couple of months because the thing too is like, 
I would say in five years, maybe from the research I've done, the machine translation may well be as good as a human translation for the most part. So you'll be able to sort of do machine translation and supplement it with like a human editor and that'll bring the cost down. Yeah, exactly. And that was sort of my thinking as well. Or sometimes you might use a human translator for the bulk of the upfront sort of translation. So say you have an app, but then if you make a small change, then I'm not sure if there's like a minimum amount of words you need to be translating. There maybe isn't, but for machine learning, at least it can sort of be a quick fill until you then have a human look over it again later or yeah, for sure. And actually, so I use Paddle as my payment processor just because they're very Shopify-like in how they handle everything. I like that. And so I think the minimum charge is like a dollar. Okay, yeah. But then I'm thinking if there's any translators out there that actually want to do it. <laughs> that's true, <laughs> that's true, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You'd have to find someone. But yeah, and I think some people might be forced out of using the app if the cost of translation is too high, right? And they'll still need translations for their app. But yeah. It's a strategic sort of decision, I think, more than anything, right? Yeah, and that's actually what I've kind of been trying to figure out. So I did these sponsorships, got a whole lot of signups, which was great. I got about 50 signups over the course of a week, which was amazing. But you don't need really to do anything aside from put in your email address to sign up. And then you get your quote and you decide if you want to pay and all that. And so, you know, of those 50, I think around 15 actually connected a project and went through that whole process. And only a few actually like went through the process, like actually like signed up and paid and got their app translated, which is cool. I'm happy with that, but I'm just wondering where in the funnel they're falling off. Like, I don't know if it's an issue of tire kickers, which I totally get is on a tech news website. Tire kickers totally make sense there. Is it a sticker shock thing when they get it and realize like, oh yeah, it is kind of expensive to pay a human to translate my web app or is it something else? You know, I don't know. So, And I think that was probably my thought as well when I was going through. I like the UI and filling it out and everything. But it was definitely like, oh yeah, okay. It's not just sort of, ah, no brainer. It was a few hundred dollars sort of thing to do mine. And that's a pretty big translation job, I think, because there was a bunch of emails with the bunch of words and stuff. But it's still like, okay, yeah, $300, you still have to sort of think about it, right? But then again, that's sort of an upfront cost. And then it's not something you're going to do every month. And maybe it's like positioning or not positioning, but how to say making people realize what they're paying now is not where they're going to be paying next month or the month after or, you know, trying to put their head in the right place to understand what this cost will give them. Yeah, that's very true. Like, because yeah, it's definitely a steep upfront cost and then very minimal going forward. So I have, it's funny, and I actually mean to write a blog post about this, just the technical aspects of it, but I finally got Translate CI hooked up to Translate CI. Ah, nice. <laughs> yeah. So I went through, I looked at where my traffic was coming from, the language the users are speaking that were signing up and things like that. And I translated into like the top five. But yeah, it was expensive. Like, you know, it costs. For five languages, and it's a medium-sized app. I think it costs around eight hundred bucks. But then, I think I've paid about fifteen bucks since then to keep it updated. You know, so whatever. Yeah, I think the word I was looking for was like framing. So you want to frame it in the right way, the pricing, so that they go, "Oh, yeah, okay, eight hundred dollars," and then ongoing cost will be much less. I think is worth sort of reminding people. I don't know how you do that, but maybe some type of graphic or. What does this mean or the benefits of translating your app and all these type of things? But yeah, it's fun to play around with it. 
Yeah, I've been having a good time building it. It's been cool. And it's nice to see like the marketing efforts. Like now I'm getting, you know, some organic signups and things like that from Google and stuff, just from the backlinks of the sponsorships and all that. So it's good. Like I feel like at this point it's validated in the sense that people think they want it enough to like really check it out. And then yeah, I've got to play with sort of framing it, like you said, I think the price and all that. Yeah, because I mean it's definitely worth it. So it's just a matter of communication in the right way. Yeah. And I get it too. Like there's a lot of people, I'm sure, you know, if you're making 300 bucks a month from your Shopify app, paying $500 to translate it is, you know, <laughs> it's a hard ask. I wouldn't have done it. In and the that's what beginning. I was thinking, maybe like something machine learning, then you can have like a monthly fee for those guys. Yeah. I'm not sure. Speaking of the marketing side of things, are you working on content or there's something we've been doing over the last few months? I'm not sure if we mentioned it last time that we'd begun talking to a company to do a bunch of articles and to help us with content. I'm not sure, but yeah, I'd love to hear how that's doing because I'm super lazy about content. I need to do more. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's it. I've never enjoyed writing, but I can definitely see the power in building up articles that you know not only help people, but also help with SEO and link building and so forth. So it was actually a guy on LinkedIn that had been pitching me for a long time, you know, but just in a really creative way that wasn't sort of spammy. Anyway. So if you want work, just message Bjorn on LinkedIn. No, is the, don't. Is I that hate, the message here? I hate LinkedIn <laughs> with a passion. <laughs> no, but it was actually a personal sort of reach out where the guy had actually looked at my website and it wasn't, at least it didn't feel automated. I usually pretty good at sniffing those ones out. But yeah, so we finally got hold of these guys and, and sort of said, hey, this is what we're looking to do. And then they sort of took a look at what we had and what we were ranking for and possible things we should rank for. And just using a bunch of tools, they use these hrefs, they use a bunch of, yeah, I don't know what it was called, but it was pretty cool. Was it called Proof? It was a program which would help them to write a brief for a writer to write articles for us. So it would basically spit out a blueprint about a topic, what sort of subtopic it should cover, how long it should be, target keywords, as well as just sort of some general tone and voice, but also like you need to include this as the H1. You need to So whichever writer was getting this, they knew exactly what they should write and how it should be formatted to give it the absolute best sort of content, what would you say, power that it could have. And then I was really surprised when I say I, it was my wife has been driving it and I've sort of been jumping in every now and then and having comments. But we got to the pricing, it was ridiculously cheap to do. And you just basically tell them how many words you want and then they build out the correct number of articles that will cover those words that you want written. So you say, okay, I might pay $3,000 for 20,000 words. Okay, great. We'd recommend based on the topics and so forth that you do 10 articles like this. And then you can sort of look at the titles and these briefs and come with comments and maybe, oh, I don't like that one. Let's try another one and, and that type of thing. And then it took them a couple of weeks and we had it all. So now I've just got content for like 12 months lined up, which is really cool. And obviously we proofread it at the end and put our own sort of, don't change it too much, but just make sure that it's, you know, these aren't Shopify experts as such. So you just need to get in there and add more of the Shopify flavor to it. But it's been really a cool process. And then we've got, I think, three articles published now and we've got a bunch more. That sounds awesome. I'm going to ask for a referral here, I think. That sounds really cool. So what do you do? This is where I always get stuck. Is What do you do to actually promote the content once you publish it? <laughs> <laughs> publish it on our website and then push it out on all social channels. I don't do like emails to our customers when we launch new articles. 
mainly because we've never done it and it's not something they've sort of been used to getting. So I'm not sure if it becomes too spammy. Yeah, it's a good question, sort of how to get it out to a wider audience. It's so weird. Like I see these like recommendations that seem so awful to me to actually implement, you know, like, oh, mention someone in your article and then tell them you mentioned them and stuff like that. I'm like, that sounds horrible. They're going to hate that. I'm going to feel so ingenuine doing that. You know what I mean? And like, I don't know, just those kind of things. And maybe it's the introvert side of me, but those sort of tactics seem really rough to me. And that's how I've always felt as well until all your competitors are doing it. And, you know, these sort of five best apps for doing this. And then, of course, we list our app as one of those options. Right. <laughs> But I think that helped having somebody else doing it, writing the content, because it was a lot less biased, I guess you could say. They were just looking at each of these products and trying them out and then seeing what are the pros and cons of each. And I think that helps a lot when it's not yourself writing them. But one thing that's actually been really good is my wife's been working on success stories from users. So speaking with some users of each of the different apps, so we have sort of a different one for each app. And then asking them some particular questions, getting those answers, and then having a writer edit it up and sort of extend it a little bit to put it into sort of more of a blog format. And those have been really good because then you also get, you bring the community of your users into the product or the article as well. And they're often willing to share it. They get links in it as well to their products. So they're very happy to do it in most cases. I think I've seen one of those success stories and yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, and we're working on some more now as well. Those have had more traction than the other articles, which are honestly more for SEO and, you know, Google's use. <laughs> you know, like I'm not sure how much users of Shopify will learn that's new. I guess if you're new to Shopify, they would be helpful. But anyone that's been around for or been running a store for a few months will know most of these things, right? It's interesting. It's something that we've wanted to do for a long time but just never done it. So it's good to finally sort of yeah, get it on board. I've been thinking about sort of code as content marketing, which I did this a little bit with the Shopify app, but I do really like that. And it might just be because I'm a developer. So, you know, what do they say? If you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. But I do definitely like the idea of maybe releasing some open source packages and things like that for Translate CI. One of the things that sucks when you translate your app is you do have to go through and like wrap everything and make sure that any phrase you've done are wrapped in whatever helper functions and things like that. And like Visual Studio Code extension or something like that would be handy. Ah, yeah. Yeah, that would be cool. What would those open source projects look like? Would that be like a client side or a client repo that integrates between your app and Translate CI or something more generic? Probably more generic or like the Visual Studio thing I think would be cool, would be useful. And then, you know, you're sort of in front of someone that is thinking about localizing their app. And I think one thing I see, I wouldn't mind giving away the piece for free that's like lets you sort of just, you'll see some of these translation apps, they, they just pull up sort of a data table with all your phrases and lets you fill them in if you want to. I know I could do that for about 10 minutes before I lost my mind and hired someone to do it. So hopefully, you know, but if you want to do it, it's pretty simple. I don't see a reason that I couldn't just be like some sort of open source package or something. Yeah, I think that's a good way to do it because it's going to stop, like you say, big projects aren't going to use that. They're generally going to use some automated way that could be kept up to date. But if you've got a tiny little app with a small amount of phrases that you need translated, then I think it would make sense. Yeah, I've sort of realized over the last few months, and I think you've pointed this out to me before too, is like the translation part is sort of the least impressive part of what Translate CI does. It's really pulling the phrases out and going through the code base and 
putting it back in. That's the sort of secret sauce there. So that's what I want to concentrate on. Yeah, yeah. I think the actual translation is, yeah, like you say, it's something that a lot of people have solved already, right? And so we use services for that. Yeah, and I kind of thought of this too. I was reading just the other day, there's a tool that a lot of Laravel developers use called Laravel Shift. And in a way, it's it doesn't do translation, but in a way, it's kind of tackling the same problem in that if you want to upgrade your Laravel app to the newest version, for example, like these guys will sort of figure out how to analyze your code base and make the changes to your code base and then just make a pull request back with the changes. Yeah. And it'll do things like, you know, best practice, code standards, things like that. They've got like, you know, 15 or 20 different sort of things they can do to your code base. It's all that heavy regular expression type search replace, you know, and yeah, yeah, scary they, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's where you need tests. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Before you do any of that. Yeah. Huh. I don't think anything like that for Rails exists. Or if anyone knows about it, please let me know. Because I've always found, you know, upgrading Rails versions. And I think it's because when you haven't done it before, you don't realize which parts you shouldn't touch or leave standard, right? And then every time Rails versions change, there's some files that basically change quite a lot. And then a lot of other things don't. So if you've heavily customized those files that change a lot, it becomes a pain to know. It's usually like a startup configuration blocks in Rails apps. Yeah. And then, yeah, over time, as you want to upgrade your apps, you're sort of afraid to do so because, yeah, what am I breaking or whatever? But yeah, I think with some experience, I've learned to make it easier on myself for future me when I write code now. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, I think that's my favorite thing about working on Translate CI is just I actually built it well from the beginning. So it's so nice when I have to get in there and refactor something or extend it. Like it actually like is not a nightmare and I can run tests afterwards. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. It's I feel like the last six months or even a year for me has been sort of paying down ten years of tech debt. You know, we're building this app kit because we want a simpler way to build apps going forward and an easier way to maintain them. And when I started out, I wasn't a great developer. And now when I go back, I've been doing this whole AppBridge 2.0 upgrade for the Shopify apps. For any app that's embedded in Shopify, it needs to be, yeah, anyway. And as I'm doing that, I can see in my controllers and models and things, I just sort of look at it and go, wow, <laughs> you know, I could spend you know days just cleaning this up and moving things around because I've learned so much and how I would like to do it now and what's the correct way or what's the best practice way to do it. Yeah, and it's been really nice to jump into these older projects and give them some love and updating them. I haven't done the full, how would you say, refactor yet. I'll wait until AppKit's finished for that. But doing the the AppBridge 2.0 change and then also adding Turbo, which makes it an SPA really, has meant that I've been able to upgrade a lot of the front end, all of the JavaScript side of things, which you know I was using jQuery before. And the way that that works and the document ready event and Turbo load and all this stuff, they don't play nicely together. But it's just been really nice to sort of come back to an older project and be able to give it some love and to be better at it now than I was when I first started doing it. I miss jQuery. I know it's like everyone hates it and it's like super old to still use it, but man, it was so easy. It still is, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't used code, it in years now, but... Yeah, but some of the code I'm taking, they're using like jQuery plugins for some things. There's no point in ripping that out now while I'm just doing this sort of upgrade, right? So I'm taking jQuery with me at the moment and just sort of looking at it. Whereas when I'm writing for the newer apps, it's all just sort of pure or vanilla JavaScript. But the amount of time you can save or the less code you have to write because it's jQuery is amazing. I don't understand the hate. Uh, Fair enough, it became a bloated thing that was, 
you know, loading a lot of code you don't need and so forth. But, but the underlying syntax was really nice. Oh, it was, yeah. I miss it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have to bring it back. Yeah, absolutely. We'll make a jQuery comeback. <laughs> we have to get some t-shirts. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you on tests. What kind of tests do you generally rewrite? Like, are you doing unit tests and system tests or something else? Yeah, so with the translation stuff, the majority of my tests are around actually parsing the code base, making the pull requests, things like that. So they're kind of feature tests. And basically what I've done is set up a ton of test projects in various frameworks and all this kind of stuff. And it will actually like, the end-to-end tests I really like that make me feel really comfortable at everything are like, if I hook up this project, this test project, is it going to find every translation properly? And then is it going to make that pull request back correctly? I guess I really like the end-to-end tests. When I get into the unit tests, I guess I tend to do that for, I guess, more complicated little bits of code, you know, small functions that just like I'm worried about. But generally, I like sort of the bigger tests. Yeah, and I think that's where we're, at the moment, we're doing mainly like system tests, integration tests, end-to-end, whatever you want to call them. Those are nice because that's how I've always tested my apps as well, right? <laughs> I click around the screen and make sure things are working and all that type of thing. But yeah, and that feels like a really good first step is just to have like an end-to-end test. And then we can obviously check that certain data is showing correctly in the UI. And then there's a repo that I have, which doesn't have a front-end. It's basically just like a gem that you pull in and it does all our liquid rendering. And there I can see unit tests would make a lot of sense to make sure that, hey, given this order, are these particular variables coming out correct still? Like you say, it's parts that you worry about or you know that, hey, if Shopify, when they launch multi-currency, it makes it more complex. When they launch order editing, it became super complex. So being able to make those changes and then just be 100% sure is always nice. Where I always got confused with Shopify, I'd be curious how you're handling it, is like where you have to... I remember even just testing like login and stuff with the embedded apps was really difficult. Anytime you're interacting with the Shopify API, like are you mocking all of that or how are you handling that? Yeah. And that's been one of the things that where Kirill's experience could really help us and Arjun's as well. He's done a lot on tests. But yeah, so we mock the auth flow. Well, Starboard, okay, I guess I can't remember. No. Anyway, yeah, so we log in the shop and then we can't load it inside the embedded or we don't load it in the embedded framework for testing. So it acts as if it's not embedded while we do the tests, which does limit you, right? Because the Shopify app does want you to call up, a click a button in the top bar, or you get a modal that comes up that's embedded in Shopify's. You can't see that from the test framework. Yeah, that's where I was running into trouble, or like the product picker, things like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess a lot of smart people have had a crack at it, and that seems to be the way that everyone does it. So I think we're stuck with it. Yeah. The embedded app experience with the AppBridge 2.0, the main difference is that they're going from like a cookie-based authentication to a session or a token, you know, an expiring token-based or a session token. You get renewed as Shopify and then you pass it to your backend to make sure that everything matches, right? And that whole process is, you can't really test it, or at least it's very hard to test on our side because we can't get into the embedded side of things. So yeah, it's been a bit frustrating. And I'm kind of over the whole embedded thing. <laughs> you know, it's caused me so much pain over the years that AppKit, as I've mentioned in the past, we're, we're going non-embedded for those. So it's a bit of a stopgap upgrading my apps to AppBridge 2.0 because eventually we'll pull them out completely as well. I always did embedded. And if I was starting again today, I definitely would not, I don't think. No, I don't know. I think there's enough big apps that are doing really well that aren't embedded 
this whole session token thing, it works better. Like we don't have these people saying, hey, I can't log in because I'm using Safari and I have to keep clicking this cookie thing or you know, third-party cookies and stuff. So I'm sure that it's improving the amount of people that are able to use our app. But that it has to be such a, at the front of my mind of login, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm just totally over it. But yeah, we'll see if it turns out to be an issue. But people don't complain about my other app that isn't embedded. And as long as the user experience feels natural and something they know how to use, I think it's fine. Yeah, I remember being very frustrated that like, I couldn't even use my own app without switching browsers because I use Safari by default. And yeah, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, and on the mobile, right? So, Or on your cell phone, you have to click it and you're like, oh, this just sucks. <laughs> and fair enough, that's all login stuff. But one of our biggest issues is actually the embedded mobile experience is not very, how would you say, user-friendly. So like one third of the screen is taken up by the top bar. So you first got like Shopify's top bar, then you've got your little tabs if you've got any navigation, and then you have a third line for buttons. So there's like three, how to say, lines or yeah, groups of content at the top of the page. And then you finally got your app at the bottom. And it just takes up way too much space. And it hasn't been optimized in years, right? And it just doesn't feel like it's worth it. Yeah. 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 I felt very lucky because one thing I learned pretty quickly was that, you know, for A B testing, no one tried to use it on their phone. So <laughs> thankfully, I didn't have to deal with that very much. Almost all users were on desktop, which was really good. Yeah, I think it definitely depends on the type of app, right? With your Translate CI, are you looking to get back into the Shopify app store then? Or are you staying to other app stores? Like your first would be GitHub, I guess. Yeah, I've looked, and I know we've talked about it before. I've looked at like, could I provide this service to Shopify stores? And I mean, the answer is yes, but it's really difficult. And Man, for a Shopify store, like, I mean, a medium sized app might cost you a few hundred dollars. Like, a medium sized Shopify store, I feel like, is going to cost you 10 times that. There's so much text with the descriptions and everything. Like, I don't really know how I would handle that. Yeah. Then again, I mean, if they're looking to do it, they have to spend the money, right? You know, as long as your translators aren't, you know, 10 times the price of everyone else's, then I think. Yeah, no, I mean, it's very much in line with standard cost for that stuff. But yeah, I could see it working. It's just dealing with the Shopify multi-language stuff is difficult for sure. Yeah, <laughs> been there, done that. And I guess it's a very different app to what you're building, right? Yours is very developer-focused at the moment. So then again, you know, Shopify themes now have a GitHub connector, right? So they can accept pull requests and it'll get merged to your Shopify store or synced. Yeah, actually, that's not a bad idea. That could be worth looking into. It's funny, I had an idea, super growth hacky, I guess, but I've been thinking about doing it as just finding some good open source repos in need of translation and just making pull requests to them with nice human translations. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, so send me a message if anyone knows of any. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I guess go with the repos you use and know, right, to begin with. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I think that'd be fun. Yeah. Ha, nice. I always find, you know, little tricks like that to be super interesting. I've started following a guy on Twitter. His name's and I'm gonna pronounce it incorrectly, I guess, but it's Vishvesh, I think his name is. He'll have to correct me because we've got a call coming up. But yeah, I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) He's been doing a lot of work around the Shopify app store listings and just sort of very methodically testing, okay, different keywords and how can I rank better for this? And really, I guess he's using this appstoreanalytics.io quite a bit as well. It's fun to follow along and to see how focusing on some small changes 
or the right channels or whatever has like a huge impact. And he's been able to sort of bump the ranks of some apps by, you know, hundreds of positions sort of thing, I think. So this is like a consulting service he's done? Yeah. He's got a link on his uh, Twitter profile where he has a little gumroad thing where you can get a one-to-one call with him. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So he started out doing it, you know, just for free and to sort of share knowledge. And he's got a newsletter, which he publishes really detailed posts on, right? He's definitely open to sharing. And I think it was just getting a lot. So he decided to put a price on it. Yeah, which is really cool to follow along. I love it when people are testing all the boundaries to see what works, what doesn't, and then sharing it as well along the way, which is great. That's really cool. Yeah, I was always so interested in like how to increase those rankings like technically in the Shopify app store. That's really cool. Someone's really like dialed it in and made a business out of it. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, he's doing apps as such. So I think that's his main focus, right? So he has some apps and he shares publicly what they're growing and so forth. And then sort of sharing his journey along the way and happy to help others as well, which is really cool. So shout out. We'll put a link in the show notes. It was funny because I have like a recurring to do every two weeks to check on my App Store ads. And now I've just also say, hey, check on the listings because I'm great at ignoring that stuff. So, you know, every six months I'd come in and then focus a lot on them for a week and then, okay, yep, they're done. I'll move on. It's never been so data-driven. And I think that's where his approach is very data-driven. I'd be interested to hear, you know, the exact sort of process he goes through to check it all. But I tried it out just on my own here at the beginning of the week and targeting particular keywords and using secondary keywords a lot more instead of just going after the main, main thing, but just finding a bunch of other things semi-related and using making sure my app listing also had those included a little bit more. One of them didn't change anything on one of the apps. But on the other one, we jumped quite a few positions, like I'd say maybe 10% more higher in the app store, which is pretty cool, which is a pretty big jump for like one day's change. <laughs> yeah, because I was also going to say, it's really like pretty instant on the Shopify app store, right? Like you're not waiting for them to re-index. It pretty much just happens once you change the listing, right? Yeah, and that's where App Store Analytics is great because it'll tell you, hey, what keywords are you targeting? And then you tell it when you're publishing a new version. Or first, it sort of helps you to actually write your content so it contains the keywords by highlighting the keywords as you have it all. And then it says, right, here's all the fields, copy, paste those over into the Shopify listing, and then click this button once you've saved it in Shopify. Once you click that, then it lists all your keywords and tells you the before and after ranking to the changes you made. Oh, wow. That's really yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them, it sort of goes, ah, you can't do this one right now. But yeah, most of them is like, bang, instant. And then I monitor the app rankings via the Sassy, the toolbar union works. I'm not sure if you remember that. Yeah. So they basically rank the entire app store, right? And then send you an email once a day with if your rankings have changed. Yeah, that's the one. Translacia was sponsoring that one. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's where I saw it. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. there's one thing to sort of see it in the tool saying, yep, you jumped this many places, but then to also see the other tools picking up on that change a day later, right? Which is pretty cool to see that the actual change was more than I was expecting. So it was nice. Wouldn't it be nice if we could do this with Google? Yeah. If you could just game it like that. <laughs> yeah. But I'm wondering if there's people out there, if good Google. AdWord marketers would be good Shopify AdWord marketers or like in, say, Apple App Store market or or so forth. I almost feel like Shopify requires like more specialized knowledge. Like I feel like I did really good with the Shopify ads and I've been experimenting with like Twitter ads and ugh, man, like not going well. But it's just me learning for the first time. And I don't know, I think just knowing Shopify, like it made a lot more sense when I was experimenting with those. 
Yeah. And that's one of the things I've always struggled with. Or maybe I, I can sort of put time to it and I can maybe do some things which aren't stupid, but you know, it's not something I enjoy doing and it's not something I want to spend too much time doing. But I've had a hard time finding specialists or you know, people that might be a good fit for that type of role, right? Yeah. I also feel like specifically with the Twitter ads, like my thinking was like, oh well, you know, every developer's on Twitter, every Shopify app person's on Twitter. But like, man, and then I thought like, when's the last time I actually like retained an ad I saw on Twitter quicker than it took me to just scroll past it? Like never. And every developer is like that. Like, really, why would I try to advertise to developers that way? Like it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I think maybe Twitter is uniquely bad at converting to purchases, right? Because it's not something we're sort of trained to do. At least I don't remember last time I bought anything on Twitter. Maybe it's like a link to a course that's very niche, like a Rails course or something like that. But if I'm on Facebook or I'm on Instagram, I actually buy things quite often. (laughs) You know, like, but then it's not, you know, I'm not buying things for the business, I'm buying things for myself. I feel like you have to try when you start, like maybe there's just some magic money faucet that I can get a customer for a dollar from, you know what I mean? But yeah, Twitter's not it, so <laughs> keep searching. Yeah. How long have you been writing those tests for? Not long, just like two weeks. I think I set a budget of like $200 to experiment with it. Yeah, and it's not given anything. No, I mean, a few click-throughs and stuff, but and I'll probably come back to it. But I feel like, I guess the other thing too is like, I'm enjoying like sponsoring things that I like. Like, it'd be kind of cool. Like, I'm going to use that money to like, just give it to someone that does something cool rather than Twitter. Yeah, I feel the same about Google. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas I'd prefer to give it, but I've had some ads running on Twitter now for years, which I haven't. Yeah, I get them looked. occasionally for your partnership program. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone does, but I should work on those. But if there's any experts out there at keyword marketing or Twitter marketing, <laughs> yeah, please, we know. need help. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, my wife's great at doing all the, how to say, like articles and design, but we're not, we're not like, how to say, data nerds, either her or I, right? I think it's a very specialized role or it's something somebody can only not can only do but a lot of people choose to only do that one thing because it's such a big role in itself of actual click-through marketing yeah it's tough for sure i mean and i think if you can do it well you can do anything i mean you can just i mean look at how many shopify stores really just exist because they're awesome at that one skill yeah exactly i guess that's maybe where I think one of the hard parts as well is making a digital product fun in an ad. You know, if you've got a pair of shoes, yeah, cool. I can make those look cool and I can see those being used. And I don't know, ads for digital stuff, it's hard. So I made a bunch of ads and I'm not a designer, but like the ones I found that actually did well, like I had ones that are very typical, you know, developer from behind on a screen with a bunch of code, like use translate or whatever. But the ones that actually like, got click-throughs was I found these cool vintage photos on Unsplash from like a library put up from like the 20s of like switchboard operators and stuff like that. And I just yeah, like, used right. them and okay. put like, more fun text over them. And those like, those actually had decent click-throughs. Yeah, yeah. You need to find what works. And what we've noticed with the posts that we do, I control most of the Twitter account, but then we also have some sort of company posts coming out on the Twitter account as well. Those ones do well, but the ones that do best are of like a real person, whether it be me or you know a customer or like an actual face of a real person and not just like a stock photo or whatever, right? They always do like at least two times as well as everything else. 
Well, and that's why like I have like a Translate CI Twitter account, but I think it's got one tweet on it because I'd much rather come from like my personal account. I mean, I think it makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. I guess then the whole personal brand, we'll leave that maybe for another episode, but both the upsides and downsides that come with having a personal brand. I don't have so much more. At least I think we should keep something for next time. Yeah, I guess we're excited to come back for season two. We're hitting an hour here. That's awesome. Yeah, it's great. It's been fun chatting again, and I look forward to talking again soon. Awesome. Sounds good. I guess I'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Yeah. See you guys. Good.